Hey guys, Jack here. Excited to announce that the Just Hands Across America tour is going to begin tomorrow. And uh, for those of you who are unaware, Zach and I are going to be traveling across the country playing poker. Uh, that's, that's most of it. And you can follow that journey by tuning into our website. We'll be writing about it, justhandspoker.com. Also following us on Twitter, Just Hands Poker is our handle. And also we have a new Snapchat, uh, the handle for that is also Just Hands Poker. We'll have some more details about what type of content to expect, uh, but we'll drop that on you guys next week. And for now, uh, enjoy this week's episode, and thank you guys for listening. So today, we are lucky to have Mike Snyderman of the Heads Up podcast on, Just, on the Just Hands Poker cast today. How are you doing, Mike? Very good. Nice to be here. I'm honored. By yeah. the way, Steve is, Steve is recording a podcast as we speak, and um, I told him I was unavailable. So <laughs> if, you, if you talk to him, I told him I'm washing my hair. So, yes, I feel, I feel wrong, but no, no, I'm, this is real fun for me. Thank you. Yeah, no, we've been wanting to have you on for a while. Um, you know, there's, there's not that many people that do poker podcasts that primarily deal with live low-stakes cash games. Arguably, you know, ours are the only ones that kind of where that's our primary focus. Yeah, that's uh, kind of what I wanted to do, not just cash, but kind of the life of the, uh, you know, the low stakes grinder. Not that I'm sure Ben Salsky is a nice man, but I really, you know, for our podcast, I didn't really want to talk to him because he's just living in a different world than <laughs> yeah. most of us who learn the game, I think. Well, uh, you know, speaking of that world, want to give us an insight into what that world looks like for you, some of the hands you, you've been playing? Uh, yeah, I had an interesting session last night. Um, yeah, more than the, the hand or a couple of hands, I'd be curious your, your insight into how you maybe change uh, your game when you're against a guy like this, because it's, it's like one villain who um, totally changes the dynamic of the game, playing every hand. Um, I only played him against once before, I want to say like eight months ago, and of course I remembered his face, where this is one of the biggest pots I ever won. He five-bet shove five bet shoved uh, queen three off on me and I called with kings and I won like a $5,500 pot. This is at one three. This is a two, uh, five, five. Sorry. Okay. Five, five. Okay. Uh, so yeah, he's playing. Um, and we had, we had a must move game and he came to our table with about 5,000 and quickly ran it up to almost 7,000. So wow. he had 1400 bigs. That was eight months ago or that was, the, the, this is the, this is the one from last night. Just okay. to give you the this is the guy. Yeah, the only the only meaningful hand that I played for him I played played with him back then. We we were like twenty six hundred something effective, and I was taking the st standard strategy against a guy who's just playing every hand and raising big. It's just to wait for a big hand, and I got it. The kings that time, and um, I think it was kind of very um, similar to what happened last night, where this guy that night probably had like six seven k. And it just started running down, and he just wanted his chips back, so he's ready to get it in with anything. Got but it. My kings, my kings held one a massive pot, and the guy was here last night, and uh, we saw him on the must move, and we knew he was the next to come, so we all shifted to the left to give him space, so we'll have him on our right. And um, wait, who's we? He, well, I, I was the first one to move, and there's there's like the regs there. You know, we were all kind of looking, wondering. Um, you know, when he's coming over, and we're all looking over at his chip stack, you know, kind of thing. So, and do you feel like um, he was aware of that dynamic? Uh, I doubt it, or he certainly wouldn't care. 
that he was he, he probably I think he liked that aspect. Oh. He didn't want he didn't want he didn't want he doesn't want to win money. He wants to win money off people by with Queen three. You know Got what it. I mean? <laughs> OK. Yeah, I haven't he'll, played against that keep, many people he like would that. Play so. the crap even more when he knows that people are just waiting for. I mean, certainly when I say we moved to the left, it, we didn't even really speak about it. Uh, so, there, you know, there's nothing collusive about it. You know, well, we'll all um, it was just, you know, obviously uh, you wanted the guy in your right, you know. Yeah, got it. Um, so, so what so what happened the, when you moved to the table? Yeah, I mean, quickly about this game. It's one of the few few five five or two five games where it has a you know you can buy in for three hundred big blinds, um, fifteen hundred dollars. So and this game runs can run ridiculously deep. So are you? Do you mind saying where this is? Is this the win? Uh, no, this is in California, Oceanside, California, Ocean's oh, okay. Eleven. At Ocean's Eleven, yeah, yeah, I played there a few yep. times. And. Um, you know, the game runs real deep and, you know, so you, you, it wouldn't be uncommon if you showed up at 10 p.m. to see like over 20K on the table. Wow. And okay. A, it, five, five. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't know how, how much you listen to the Heads Up Poker podcast, but this is this is a lament here that I, you know, I don't have the bankroll for this game. And it's really because the game is kind of juicy and the 1025 only runs twice a week at Oceans. There's often like these world class players are in this game. Um, yeah. So it's like, and uh, so some nights you sit down, and it's eight pros and one guy with six hundred dollars in front of them. <laughs> you know, um, so the game the game is really bad. There's one kid I know who's been a pro for a long time, and he said this is the worst five five game he's ever seen. But you have to put a little asterisk next to it where sometimes it's, it's unbelievable if some of the top pros aren't there and you have a guy like this there, obviously. Yeah, or even if it's a lot of top pros, like I, I think generally a lot of people when there's like one kind of pretty fishy player, like generally overmate overestimate the quality of the game. But if everyone's at least three hundred bigs deep, I mean you could have a profitable game with like six pros, two regs, and one really bad player if that bad player has four hundred bigs. This might be kind of the right. exception to that rule. Right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, just just tighten your range and um you know, hopefully the uh yeah, if you if you get cards, you can you can definitely have a big night, sort of regardless of who they are, because there's so there's so much money on the table. Yeah, for what it's worth, uh, just uh, I'm I'm sure you're aware of it, but for the listeners, like the, the type of bankroll you need for this game is probably much bigger than you would expect, just because um, the variance is yeah. going to be really high when you have a lot of good players and when the bad players are like actiony like this. And if you're typically buying in for at least a thousand dollars, you know, you can't just think of it like, oh, I need to have. Uh, you know, 2,000 big blinds. Like, this is probably a game where if this was my only form of income, I wouldn't play for, like, anything less than maybe, like, eight to 10,000 big blinds. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny. That's something I was going to bring up is the fact that I'm not really properly rolled for this game. I mean, not even close. Uh, I'm getting uh, cash game coaching, and this guy's first thing, he knows the he knows the casino well, and he says, other than Friday's, where you should be t- playing, where the game is just unbelievable. He's like, you should only be playing two, three. But um, yeah, quick. I had a nice little uh, online tournament uh, stretch here in the last month where I'm up like 30k. So I decided I was going to, you know, start taking some more shots at, at this game, and I've been running well in it. But I'm still, um, you know, if I if I were to go in like three buy-ins deep here and lose four or five thousand, that's just an insane amount of money for me right now. Yeah. Um, so let, let, let's hear the let's hear the hand. Okay. Uh, we were st- we we started straddling like the first door, but he was there or something. 
And I have, I am the straddler, and it folds around to uh, this guy on the on the button, and he raises to 50, and it's fold, fold, and I have two black sevens in the big blind. Okay, and what are the effective stacks approximately? Uh, about $2,000 each. Okay, and he has you covered? Yes. Okay. He has he has a five thousand plus at this point, I think. So yeah, I think this could definitely go either way here. What what did you end up doing and, and why? Well, I just platted. Um yeah, basically because I didn't want to get you know four hundred big blinds in with pocket sevens, because the likely scenario often is he's he might reshuffle with Queen Three, but I you know, I don't know. He could play a little differently than the last time I saw him too. It's not just get it in with any two cards. And uh, what? Huh? It's it's funny because it from everything you said before, it really sounds like you know sevens is way ahead of his getting it in range here. You know, um, right? Although his getting in the he wasn't necessarily going in going in all the time, even the previous session. Mm-hmm. So this even for this how this guy was playing, it was pretty. Stu- everyone was pretty stunned. I mean, it was often. If you three bet him, you know he'd often he'd flat sometimes. It wasn't just trying to escalate and get it in necessarily. Obviously, I'm way ahead of his range, and if he even four bets, you know this could be a five bet rip. But I'm also, and this may be the bankroll management or how there's a chance with this guy where you're going to get him, you're going to get all your money in basically with him drawing stone dead. So here, even if his range is, you know, ten queen off, um, I don't know what 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 is seven seven against the deck. Probably sixty, low sixty percent, something. Yeah, it's not going to be super high, but again, this is you know where the bankroll thing comes into play. Like you ideally want to be when you sit down at a table, have enough money and you know have money in front of you that you're comfortable losing and comfortable playing optimally. So right, yeah. At this point, though, his chip stack is moving up and not down. I think that was very meaningful for the queen three hand because. He had pro- he had he had lost like three or four pots and probably lost one or two thousand dollars and he kind of he's one of those guys I, I want to get it back, um, you know I could be wrong but this is my pretty much I was going to call and um, my first instinct is just let's make this a, a pure set mine. Um, yeah, I, I think I think definitely like there could be a mistake to like five bet rip it against this player. But it seems like a pretty big mistake not to three bet for value, and then if he does four bet, you know, kind of evaluate there based on you know uh, physical tells, timing tells, and bet sizing whether you should rip it in or right. four bet. Um, yeah, you're probably right. Like I said, I was just looking hopefully for a spot where um, I had him drawing dead, but that can get very costly too. I mean, occasionally you only have a guy like this in the casino step in once every six months, but. Um, you know, if you keep calling his three bets with your jack-10 suited and your pocket eights and just hoping to utterly smash the flop, and, um, you know, you can be losing one 200 at a time, and then when you get your big hand, you know, you're just getting back to where you bought in for. Yeah, and, yeah, so I, I think it's important, like, this player, like you said, last time we saw him was eight months ago. So, like, pushing a 60% edge on thousands and thousands of dollars is incredibly profitable, even if you'd rather be a lock with a set, you know? Like, you're not going to have just endless amount of games with this guy, and it's, it's leaving a lot of EV on the table not taking this spot. Right. That being said, with your bankroll considerations, it still might make sense to, like, play this game, but just play, like, a knit and leave EV on the table. That's kind of a 
much more complicated decision that also, you know, you have to take in like your psychology and like your finances outside of poker to really come up with an optimal answer. But, you know, just speaking from the, like the expected value of the decision at the poker table, uh, right. I think we have to be uh, three betting here. Okay. I agree. Just uh, quickly about like a similar hand. It was interesting. I don't know what we get off the wheels here, but the kid who's probably the best 1025 player there mm-hmm. was playing against the guy who thinks he's the best 1025 player. <laughs> um, and well, you can tell which ones I'm friends with. And I guess they were just in a wild 1025. It became a 50 straddle game. And these two kind of, I forget, they started getting an argument or something. They, somebody took a video and one of the guys said, I'll, I'll shove in blind against you. Um, and he didn't look at his cards and shoved it in blind. I think this might've been blind versus blind or big blind versus straddle. And my buddy uh, snap called him with king queen suited. Snap called this guy's $12,000 shove. Mm-hmm. And um, he said it was an easy, the easiest call in the world. You know, I think we looked it up. It's king queen suited. It's like 64% against the deck or something. Yeah, I mean, that's a super straightforward call if you're really sure that the guy did a blind shove, in fact. And uh, the guy had ace 10. And he, they ran it twice and he lost both times, but he didn't. You know, I said, that's kind of pricey. Um, you know, maybe he does it the next time. And you got, you know, pocket jacks. And he was, he didn't want to hear it. And he was, he was totally happy and comfortable with this call. But like I said, he's, he's, he's properly rolled for the game, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, there's a difference between being properly rolled for how the game normally runs and being properly rolled for, like, blind shoves. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's his. Right. It's, just, it's, a, it's an equation for him to figure out based on, you know, the right. amount of variance he wants, uh, like, psychologically and emotionally, and that he could handle financially and, you know, have his risk of ruin still stay relatively low right. if his, you know, primary income is coming from playing live cash. But it is still, uh, whatever that is, eight or 900 big blinds with king-queen, just like I kind of feel this is a little different, but, you know, 400 big blinds with pocket sevens just feels feels uncomfortable for me. But I, I, I agree with you. Obviously, I uh, utterly crush his range here, um, and he's, he's not going to care about that. He's, he's going to proceed, whether it's calling the three-bet or four-betting or shoving. Yep. Okay. Uh, so, this so, so what happened in I just flat, after you called? Yeah. A flat, and the flop is... 10-8 deuce with two clubs. Okay. Um, like I said, my, my original plan was kind of, you know, set mine, and I'm like, no, this is, this is a call, obviously. Um, I'm already kind of making the decision if I'm going to be calling three streets. But um, he uh, – I checked to him, and he bets 80. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing to do but call here, right? Um, actually, I don't know. Because sevens is a, is a pretty bad calling candidate compared to other hands. Uh, okay. It also... Do you want to talk a, a little bit more about his post-flop tendencies? So all I've heard so far is that he's a wild and crazy player who's kind of giving it away pre. But like, what is, what is his post-flop barreling tendencies like? And what has he shown down in some other hands? Um, he was... He... Um, let me see. He did... He would kind of shut it down sometimes, especially in multi-way pots, I think. You know, he, he, he understood that at least. Um, you know, if he raised and three people called, he'd see bet, you know, almost always with a pot size bet. But then um, would shut it down. And, um, yeah, there was once even where I three bet him for, for value with ace-queen, and it was in like a nine-high flop, and I bet, and I bet, and then checked him on the river, and he checked back top pair. He had ace-nine. 
Um, I'm just trying to think. But he really liked all, the all-in pre, pre-flop or on the flop. I got a buddy who lost a huge pot to him on a king, like, jack five board. My buddy, uh, this guy shoved jack three in mm-hmm. for, like, 2,000, for, I guess, they were 1,400 effective. And my buddy had four bet him and C bet and had snapped them all with, off with ace queen for, um, you know, he was getting whatever it was, two and a half, three to one on his money. And he knew his, the ace and 10 were good. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'd have to, he, he was kind of herky jerky, you know, sometimes he would just like, you know, take a handoff once or twice. He did like fold early mid position, um, strangely. But uh, I definitely – he seemed to, I don't know, if tighten up a little bit late, late you know, turns and rivers, I suppose. Okay. So what, what you kind of first said in this is that he'll be C-betting almost like in a 100% range on the flop. And obviously I think Sevens is ahead of that range on this board. That being said, like I, I don't think it's very likely that he like C-bets like 100% of the time on the flop and then like – gives up with the vast majority of his loss on the turn in the river. If that were the case, you had a, you have a really easy check call and then check fold to the turn in the river. No, I think, um, yeah, I think it was just a weird thing. If he lost a hand, he, he's willing to take one off, but then when he wins one, he's going to just keep pushing. He's just, I, I don't know what, how to, what no, to no, I, yeah. I, I so he, right now his, his, no. Yeah. I, I mean, I was at this point, I was thinking he's probably going to go three streets. Although, like I said, he just sat at the table and I started watching and there were times where, um, like I said, he would he would check check rivers with equity. Um, there's times where he's just you know yeah, so, pressing buttons. So I so know. I think given that this is I actually like folding this hand because you're going to want to defend with hands that have a chance to improve. So okay, I think calling here with queen jack is way better than calling with pocket sevens. Uh, with queen jack, I'm calling the flop and then folding on all turns that aren't a nine jack queen or king. Or I okay. like calling here with ace queen or something if I didn't three bet pre flop and the the problem with pocket sevens is just that I think against his even against his range just because you're not exactly sure of his tendencies like sevens is going to be a check fold on the vast majority of turn cards and if you're not really sure about how much he's barreling I think you should choose a defending candidate that has the chance to improve so these kind of lower pocket pairs when you're against looser aggressive players they could seem like enticing to call down with because they're because you're against a loose and aggressive player, but they're really some of the worst candidates just because you only have two outs to improve, really, or you have a backdoor straight draw, I guess. Right. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, you know, it's almost... <laughs> I was almost kind of in that mode. I'm like, well, this is either call three streets or just get rid of it now. Um, yeah, because the turn is just, for me, not going to change my hand, kind of like you said. Well, I definitely don't think it's... You must call three streets or fold now. <laughs> I think that's that right. would be an example of like compounding a potential mistake or two, but right. I, I I do think it's just a fold a fold now. Well, I don't. Um, I do call. The turn is the five of hearts. Okay. And and I check to him and he bets 125. Yeah, I think I think this is a fold. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just thought he was, if he's, he's just going to be barreling here so often that a pair has got to be good. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, this will be interesting when either Jack or I do the podcast breakdown, but 
you know, it, the range has to be pretty crazy for, I think, this to be a profitable call for you. Uh, okay. Maybe, maybe you're right, and it is that crazy. But uh, it's, just, it's, hard, it's hard to say, having never played with a player myself, and you know, hearing that he can really change it up so significantly based on you know if you recently won or recently lost. Um, like you said, probably uh, you know ninety percent of my poker is still played um, you know, online tournaments, or um, so yeah. I'd be curious if like a real uh, you know good live pro is going to pick stuff up on you know because like I said, it was his play was so erratic with how he played post flop. Um, you know, to pick something up here, whether he's he's doing this for value or not. Um, but like you said, it doesn't, you know, protect my stack and wait for. It almost doesn't matter if he's doing it for value. I should protect my stack and uh, wait for a, a slam dunk spot against this kind of player, maybe. Well, I wouldn't think of it as like you should protect your stack and thinking in those terms. I think those are the type types of, you know, that's a way of thinking that is leaving a lot of EV on the table. Uh, okay. I, I think you should just think, you know, about this specific spot and what does his range look like, and you know, if you have enough equity with your hand to call. I could be wrong, and, and he does, but I just I am not I'm not convinced right now. But when we do the podcast breakdown, we'll kind of maybe give a different scenario or two where it's like a range that I think is more probable, and then a range that would you know make calling the street or even all three streets correct. Okay. Um, well, I do call his bet of one twenty five. So now there's let me do that. There's two fifty. There's four ten. Um. Uh, 510, 520 in the pot minus the rake. Is that right? I think so. Um, After I call the turn, if this if this matters. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. And the river is the nine of clubs. So uh, the flush gets there. And there's now three overs to my pair. And I check to him. And he quickly bets. I think it was like three uh, three thirty five. Yeah, I think this is, you know, definitely an easy fold here. And um, how you doing, Jack? Hey, sorry, guys. And no problem. Um, well, and this time, it's, it, his, his river bet was a little different where he, he paused for about 10 seconds. The other times, he's just pressing buttons and throwing chips out there. And this time, he, he, he was thinking about his bet sizing. A little bit, you know. Uh, that's that was my impression, and he threw out, like I said, three hundred and thirty-five dollars into the five hundred and ten-dollar pot. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, this is this is just the donk. I, I was committed to uh, just pretty much calling him down because I just think a pair is like you just have to call this guy down with a pair. That was my at least read now, where he'd only been at the table for fifteen minutes. But I quickly call, and he has the three nine of hearts. So he rivered second pair, and uh, to his credit, knew he was good. Yeah. Or do you think he definitely knew he was good? Well, <laughs> I, 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 I just I don't know. It certainly looks like I have 10x, uh, and maybe he was trying to get me off 10x. I, I'm not going to give him credit for saying this was a merged bet here where he's trying to, yeah. get, me to get me to fold 10x but call with 8x. Um, yeah, I, I don't think he knew. I don't know. Maybe he was. He was. So I think this is the. Th- this, this, this was Hollywood. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Th- this is why I think it's this hand is just like clearly a fold on the flop and definitely on the turn, because and and like with the hand you said before where he like made a huge shove with like middle pair bad kicker against someone like he's really yep. just pressing buttons here, 
So, you know, that makes it a lot more likely that, like, your, like, bottom pocket pair isn't going to be good. There are some maniacs that are really easy to play against where they, like, you know, bet really aggressively when they don't have anything, but, like, check if they have some type of showdown value. This is a guy who seems to just keep betting and betting and betting. And, like, against the deck, um, you know, or at least against, like, some portion of the deck that's, like, remotely reasonable, even for a very loose aggressive player, Sevens is is not good enough, a good enough of the time here on the river to call. Um, okay. I mean, obviously we can't range him, but just uh, just to th- defend myself on the turn. I mean, against this specific hand, he's throwing chips in basically with only with only three outs. I mean, I don't know that. Um, yeah, but I think that's kind of being results oriented, you know. Right. Okay. Um, I don't know if you want to do one more um, quick hand against the same villain. Sure, let's let let's do it. Or do you want to? Yeah, yeah we'll do it. Yeah. Um, this time the villain, uh, the same villain, is in the small blind, and I am um, UTG. This is straddle, and I am UTG one, and UTG uh, raises to thirty-five. Jack, you're getting in here late, but we're we're playing against the lunatic of lunatics who I once won like a $5,500 pot off where when he five bet shoved queen three off. Um, so it's, yeah, that's kind of the, all right. Theme here. Aren't, aren't we like always flatting here, hoping he, he, he gets out of line or someone does. So uh, did I mention, I, 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 sorry, UTG one. Well, it, okay. It, so you're, there's a straddle. Yes, obviously UTG. a five-five game, five-five game, and there's a ten-dollar straddle. Okay, so we're we're saying UTG is the person after the straddle. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so what what do we have here? I I don't think we're always calling. I have, I have an opportunity to play with. Oh, aces. Okay. I guess to to know a little bit more about small blind, do you think he's basically always coming along? Or uh, well, I've been like saying really he's, he's been v v pipping like ninety percent and raising limpers and three betting fifty percent pre flop is his is his stats and he's a guy who's just he's on like he's on just winners high and I think at this point he has close to seven thousand dollars. Yes, I'm I'm flatting. Okay. Uh, so j- just to to play devil's advocate for for a second, like if if he's now more on like the winner's tilt type thing, you right. might three bet just because he'll four bet you with a wide frequency, you know? Right. That's uh, possible. That's possible too. And it's it's just tough because you know when you three bet and you're under the gun, like and you like three bet and open, uh, like an early position, it just looks super strong, you know. Um. So then some of the better players at the table might not be, uh, like, three or four betting you. Uh, right. The nice thing about flatting is that it's, it doesn't only have the benefit of, uh, you know, potentially getting a higher raise frequency from the small blind than if you raised, but it also uh, gets, you know, the non-maniac person that we're thinking about to put some more money into the pot and potentially raise us. So. I, I like I like flatting here, and for what it's worth, like in wild and crazy games, more so for PLO than for no limit, but for both, I like having a fairly passive early position range with like my first action to kind of call and evaluate and to protect my range. So there's some games where in the first two or three positions I'm never raising, 
uh, and then have you know a relatively balanced kind of like call or limp three betting range. Try to keep people from squeezing. Um, is that kind of the thought behind that? Or yeah. Or I'm happy with them squeezing and get them to put more money in the pot when I have a good hand. It just it depends. On okay, the I got you. Yeah. Yeah, just design our range so that we are not vulnerable to a squeeze. Okay, that makes sense. Um, well, I, I call the 35, and uh, the button also calls, and the small blind uh, makes it $200. So I think Good. we have a, a, ver <laughs> a very standard re-raise here, uh, but I'm going to pick a very small size because even if that guy thinks we're nutted, with your re that you said before of how, like, he gets off from bad beats, you know, he loves when his queen three offsuit beats your kings or beats your aces. Right. We, we don't want to give him incentive to fold. Uh, I think he's never folding any hand if you make it 400, but I think if you make it like 800, he might fold. That being said, right. he's on winner's tilt, and I think it's it's hard to say without being there what the exact right bet sizing is, but like you're, you're trying to make sure you get a call from his entire range, and I would imagine probably a size around five 600 would do that. Okay. Um, what is a... The, big, the, the under the gun guy calls, by the way. Um, I'm not sure how that – and the under-the-gun guy is a, uh, is a pro um, who almost always has, you know, suited broadways here or a, uh, a pair that he's looking to flop a set. You know, he was – and the, the under-the-gun guy has like 2,200, and I have 1,700 to start the hand. Yeah, so maybe, maybe – I, I could actually see an argument for shoving here just because, you know, you said he got it in – he's got it in pretty really light. This might be right. a time where it's like, oh, the, all these people calling – you kind of look like you're squeezing, and then he just like calls with whatever he has. It, right. Um, I, I decide I, to use uh, – I, I raised to 500. I don't know. Um, yes. Yeah, I was got the smaller, but even with the other guy in the, in the pot, you know, he's not going to outflop me that often. So I thought – stick with the small um, sizing even with the other player in there. Yeah, I think that the smaller sizing could be better than shoving. I, is likely to be, but I think 500 is just a little too small. Once you say that the other person calls, like, you know, for another 300, that guy and the small blind is never, ever folding, I think we should be pushing it a little bit and probably going between six and 700. I don't know, Jack. What okay. Do you, what do you think of the sizing here? Yeah, I guess I was thinking 500 before the guy called, so after he calls, I agree, six, 650. I don't think we need to make it too big because we're basically probably always going to shove the flop. Or likely call the flop, <laughs> small blind. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah if small blind dongs, we're probably going to jam over it or call, depending on the sizing. Uh, so I, I think five or six hundred. It's not going to matter a ton, but I guess we should get more money in now. It's going to be best. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, I agree. A little too small. Uh, the small blind um, immediately calls, and UTG actually folds. Um, he. He, he knows that I'm he probably knows that I have aces or kings here so he might even have ace king or ace queen and know that he's he's drawn pretty thin yeah and a lot of I don't think he'll necessarily call to set mine here because he's not very deep against you and he's not really even that deep at this point to put in another 300 uh, with only 1700 behind against the small blind uh, right because he has to beat you both so there's now um, 1,300 in the pot, approximately. 
And the flop is King Nine Three Rainbow. And the villain checks to me. So do you ever well, do you ever check back hoping he'll shove every turn? The, I, I definitely might check back sometimes depending on I mean just what we think we will get him to bluff with because based on the way you're describing this guy's range, he has a lot more unlike most players, we're trying to induce bluffs. We're not trying to necessarily induce light calls. So right. I think we should do whatever will induce as many bluffs as possible. That might be betting really small. That might be checking. But, yeah, I think we should definitely be in, okay, we have one of the best possible flops for us, and, you know, we're trying to get him to put the money in, but not, you know, not necessarily call down with a pair. We're not really worried about getting values from pairs. We're worried about getting value from unpaired hands here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, when I was saying we would always jam this flop, I, I was thinking it would be three ways where we'd be more likely to have value on – or value targets on any board and we would have more to protect against on any board. Uh, yeah, here I, I, I think I like checking to, to give him a chance to bluff, uh, especially since it's such a safe flop. Okay. Um, well, I haven't played a, I haven't played a street right in either hand, but I decide to bet. Um, I assume you're betting small here to make him think that we're nervous or is that, I only, yeah, bet, four, yeah. I only bet 400. I mean, at the time, I'm like, you know, could I even bet like 350 or something, you know, even smaller? But this guy will probably interpret that as weakness. I mean, whatever you – I think we want to look weak is obviously the goal here. We either want him to think we could have anything or we want him to think we have what we don't have. So, you know, I think in this case, rather than try and be balanced, do whatever looks weakest. I think a check might even look less weak than a small bet, but I think – I think a check tends to look weakest. Uh, I think any when I'm playing against someone, I think any sort of bet tends to look a little stronger than a check. But I'm not sure what, what your guy's history is, or if he's you know tends to pounce on small bets. Yeah, at this point, I don't. Um, he's usually driving the action, like I said. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I couldn't call for. I mean, quickly. Not not that this is totally different from this, than the sevens hand. But if we did have sevens in this hand with the one to one stack to pot ratio, are we? Oh, are we shoving this flop? This is a completely different scenario. Yeah, I right. Think no, I mean, with, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With sevens, I actually really like shoving the flop because okay. we're definitely ahead against his range, and really either option is good for us. You know, like we're getting value against his range as a whole, but also if he folds two overs to us, like that's a great scenario. True. Okay. Um, uh, uh, well, I bet 400 he calls is what I was going to say. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not shoving sevens on this flop. What was the flop? King 9-4? Uh, king 9-3. King 9-3? King I mean, I would never... I, would, I wouldn't four bet sevens pre-flop. And if I, got, if I got to sevens to this point, having played this way, I would not shove. Right. Uh, do you yeah, think I, I guess bringing up... Yeah, the sevens would be totally different action pre-flop, so I guess that's kind of yeah. Yeah, the sevens would be yeah irrelevant yeah to this. Um, so I bet, and he quickly calls. Um, at this point, do we even stop to range him here? I mean, we've got we've got eight hundred dollars left, and there's like twenty six hundred in the pot. No, we got the fish on the hook. I, I think like <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, um, there's not. 
a king yeah, who's not- on the turn sucks. And I might check back just to induce... You know, if, if it's a king on the turn, I'm worried that if we bet, he'll play perfectly against us, even though he's a maniac. Like, he's in the, is he going to call down with a nine if it's a king on the turn? Right. We don't want to bet his hand if he somehow hits two pair on the turn. So let him shove the river with his whole range. Check back the turn. That's my that's my thought. My only worry is if it's a, if the, king, the turn is a king and this player is going to have some sort of folding range that includes hands as strong as... 9x, then we're basically letting him play perfectly when we bet the turn. Uh, where if we check the turn, I think this player is going to turn a lot of his hands into bluffs. Some of them were already bluffs. Like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's holding queen 10 here or something like that. Right. So, so yeah, I wouldn't... I think anything other than a king, I'm probably ready to shove the turn. Uh, the king, I'm checking back. Okay. Um, the turn is a 10, and he immediately shoves, uh, immediately call, and he shows his queen eight off. He had picked up a gutter ball, and he bricks, and I win a, a big $3,400 pot. Yeah, nice. I, think, I think really the only decision here is the preflop. You know? I could still see it going either way if I kind of knew more about all the players there. But yeah, I think post-flop, when you have... A small SPR against a player like this, we're just, you know, we're just getting in. Right. But this made me ticked off that I, I donked off the 500 with the pocket sevens because this could have been a, a bigger pot maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily think about it that way. Like, no, yeah. you know, because it might, like I said, it was probably correct to get it in pre with him pocket sevens or at least three bet pre. And then you might have lost a bigger pot there, you know, even though the, expect, the expected value might have been higher. Right. Okay. I like that. Uh, well, cool, Mike. That's that's it for the the hands. But so now we'll go into you know the part two. But before we do that, do you want to plug anything? Do you have like a podcast or something? Yeah. Check up the check out the uh, Heads Up Poker podcast, please. Um, me and Steve Barton. Um, not quite as intelligent with a strategy as as you two, well, but we, we got some uh, we got some good guests on, and we have a lot of fun. And I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, yeah it is a fun podcast. Yeah. yeah. I, we said this at the beginning of the interview, Jack. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think most people, at least in the United States, that, you know, get introduced to poker, they get introduced at, you know, the micro or low stakes, like playing live with friends or at a casino, where a lot of the strategy and a lot of the, the content is geared for or created by people that regularly play higher stakes than that. So I, I, I think it's cool to have... You know, I think Mike's podcast is really the only other one that has a, a real focus on the, the live, low-stakes cash. For sure. Yeah, and they're also fun. And I don't think we're very fun. Uh, so, I feel like fun listening to their podcast. 